What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream episode 95. Oh man, five more, and it's going to be 100. That I feel like I should do something special for the 100th episode, but I'm not really good at coming up with something special. So you guys can shoot that down in the comments. Give me ideas for what I should do for the 100th episode because um, I don't know. I don't really have any great ideas. And honestly, I'll just keep, I'll just keep booking people and and it will just be like, Hey, you're, you're lucky 100. You walked in the door, you get a free koozie or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, today's guest is going to be outbound lighting. So um, if you guys aren't familiar with them, they're a light company and uh, before light mountain bike lights. So like, if you like night riding, I guess I should be like, they're not Ikea lights. <laughs> so anyways, we're going to talk to them in a minute. Before we do though, I want you guys to do me a favor. <clears throat> if you don't subscribe to the channel, hit the, hit the subscribe button. And uh, if somewhere along the line, you're listening to this and you're like, man, I really enjoy this. Hit the thumbs up button. That's going to help me uh, stay motivated and keep going as well as maybe giving me a follow over on Instagram or Facebook. So if you want some content that's free and uh, you want to kind of see what's going on and with the channel a little bit more than, than just watching the videos or listening to the podcast, go swing by Instagram and, and follow over there. Or if you're over 40, you can do it on Facebook. Like, the other 800 people are over there. <laughs> I don't think kids use Facebook. So you're, if you're, if you're not on Instagram, you're dating yourself. Anyways, <clears throat> let's move on from that. What I would like is anybody out there that has an extra buck that wants to go ahead and throw it towards the beer fund here. That would be great. If you can swing by patreon.com slash biker B one K E R and throw me a dollar, man, it's only 12 bucks a year. And with that, you get access to the coupon codes that I set up with different people that we've had on the shows. And uh, if you really want to help the channel grow, help me help me get to a different level, then there's some other tiers for that. There's a $5 tier. You'll get a sticker pack and some uh, cool handwritten letter access to extra content. So I've been making videos that are only for Patreon. I have like rough cut videos, which are like a longer cut of the videos that go on YouTube. And then I have videos that are just, just um, additionally extra. So it's, um, man, I just got all messed up there. I was like reading a text message at the same time trying to talk. What do you know? Anyways. <laughs> so anyways, it really helps me out. If you guys, if you guys want to swing by and help, help out the channel, there's also another tier where you get a boatload of swag and that really helps the channel too. It's up to you. You can do whatever you want, but um I, I really appreciate everybody that's out there that's been contributing to the channel so far and all of this stuff. There's so much out to it that I would have never thought was going to be a cost. I thought when I first started, it was like, get a GoPro and start a YouTube channel. That's all you need to do. And next thing you know, I'm like, oh, wow, there went freaking 600 bucks on lights. I don't know how I did that. Anyways. So everybody's, everybody's got their way to help. You can help for free by hitting subscribe. You can help for free by going to Instagram. You can help for free by going to Facebook. You can help with a little bit of cash by going to Patreon. It's up to you, however you want to do it. You could even super chat while we're talking. I don't always have a chance to say thank you to people live on the show, but I'll try to catch it. But if you throw a super chat up, that helps a lot as well. So, hey, it's Friday. Let's get on with this, man. I'm, I'm over over talking about this stuff. Let's bring Tom on. What's up, Tom? Hey. How's it going? 
good. Yeah. It's nice and uh, sticky and sunny out here in Pacific Northwest. Yeah. You guys have the good dirt up there, man. Well, not right now. Um, not right now. It's raining in quite a while. It rained a little bit last night, but it's it's moon dust everywhere right now. It's brutal. Really? Yeah. yeah. It, Northern California has been pretty rough lately. That's for sure. So these things happen. Similar here. What is that? I imagine it's pretty similar here. Once it once the sun comes out and we got a bunch of clear cut and, and capital forest here, it's yeah. uh, it just dries out so fast in the summer. But it'll get wet before we know it. Yeah, yeah. How how long have you been riding? I've been riding for um, just over eleven years. I uh, I'm I'm not quite over forty, but I still use the Facebook. Um, yeah, you and, got the Facebook. Uh, got yeah, I got one too, man. I got a memory uh, that just showed up the other day, 11 years ago, my first mountain bike. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, what was the bike? It was, a, it was a Surly Karate Monkey set up single speed, and I had um, an 80 mil uh, Fox 32 on it with some, oh, with nice. actually, with with these handlebars, these on oh, one Mary, like super sweet back bars. Oh, wow. They're super So your first mountain bike was a single speed? Yeah. You really don't like yourself, do you? Well, I just didn't like floppy <laughs> things attached to a bike that's supposed to survive stuff. And I thought, yeah, single speed's more like it seemed like an easier way to get into the sport. I right. don't know if that's accurate or not, but it's <laughs> right on, man. Yeah. yeah, that that's definitely uh that's a that's a way to get started quick with the single speed action there. Yeah. So um tell me a little bit about outbound lighting, man. What do you guys do over there? Sure. Yeah. So um, we're a small company. I think it's coming up on year four now. Um, my uh, my partner Matt is the founder of the company, and so he stood this up um, years ago on on Kickstarter. And so he's an optical engineer from the automotive lighting industry. Um, so he oh, worked okay. at Dynamics uh, before this and designed a bunch of uh, bunch of lighting products for uh, aftermarket and OEM stuff and. He actually went on a ride with a buddy of his and went riding at dusk and they had lights and he basically looked at what the guy had and it's like, this, this is the best the industry has to offer. And I don't know what lights the guy had at the moment. I don't know if they're Amazon specials or what, but right. uh, he just thought I could do way better than this. Uh, we can put some, some effort and some novel concepts around. What was the company you said he, he worked for? I, I said something at the same time, so I didn't hear what you said. Uh, diode dynamics. Oh, okay. Yeah. They do a lot of aftermarket stuff, um, for headlight bulbs and side markers and things like that. Yeah. Um, I noticed that on your website that you guys were saying that at least the way it, it read on the website was like, you're not necessarily trying to make the brightest light. You're trying to make a light that has a better pattern to it. Yeah. And that, you know, we can, we can dive into that whole philosophy on how we design stuff, but it, the, the high level summary is, yeah, we are not, we're not into the pissing match of trying to make the brightest thing possible. Right. Um, as good as it is to make lights that can cook eggs on top of them and stuff like that. It's, right. Right. it's a good, good YouTube hook, but it's not actually a good product for out in the field. So we're, uh -huh. we're basically trying to optimize products for specific applications for riding and every every different mounting location and type of riding needs a different type of light and yeah putting it giving it too much power can screw up your vision in certain scenarios depending on where it's mounted and uh, can also make it larger battery heavier have to yeah. have a 
external batteries and wires and all this other complex stuff. And so it ends up being something that's not, it's no longer optimized for the application. It's just trying to be the brightest and therefore better, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So we're, we're trying to, to educate people on what, what lumens actually mean and um, how to, what, what to look at in lights because it's not yeah. just that. It's kind of like buying a bike just based on how much suspension travel it has. Like, right. Yeah. DH bike should be best for everything. Right. Downhill wins. Right. Um, but it's not. And I think that that is very similar to what we see with lights. That's, that's kind of what um, Matt's carrying over from the automotive industry is, you know, your headlights are limited legally by the DOT on how much light they can put out. And uh -huh. your car headlights put out about 1100 lumens per light. So if you're limited to around 2000 lumens from your headlights and you can drive comfortably at hundred miles an hour in the dark, we ought to be able to make a bike light where you can travel 20 miles an hour downhill comfortably uh, without having to have 10,000 lumens and enormous battery packs and all that. So that's crazy. I didn't know that headlights on a car were only 1100 lumens. Yeah. You know, they, they put limits on everything, right? Everything. Right. Right. Even the high beam, huh? I guess the high beam is just the same thing. It's just pointing higher. Right. Isn't that what it is? Yeah, is so the right, the limits, are, limits are slightly different on those, but essentially those are those are then doubling the output and and they're going above the horizontal cutoff. So low beams have a cutoff so that you're not glaring and blinding oncoming traffic, and the right. high beams fill in everything else. So yeah. they don't actually put more light on the road; they just fill in the rest of your environment, which actually helps you drive more safely if you're out on a dark road by yourself. Yeah, and then if you have a lifted truck like me, everybody thinks your low beams or high beams. You're like, oh, really? That's great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for flashing me, man. <laughs> right, because now you're, you're in a situation where you can't put your lights low enough to actually yeah. angle them correctly. You have to either angle them straight down to avoid glaring yeah. people or out so that you can see. And I just do the friendly, way. like, here's my high beam, so now you know. Yeah. <laughs> trust me it could be worse right right yeah check this out <laughs> yeah so it's all right man they're, they they i'm sure they're they're um there's the guys with the leds that are driving around the cars man they they'll definitely blind you and they can be on i don't even know what rating that they're they're set on but well and that 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 could be a whole nother rabbit hole if you want to dive into it but but LEDs isn't the culprit. It's aftermarket bulbs that don't adhere to DOT standards. And oh, there you go. You can't emulate the exact shape of a filament in a halogen bulb, which is what the reflectors are designed for. So if the LEDs are slightly different geometry and they're emitting light from different areas, your beam pattern changes. And that's why you don't have a sharp cutoff anymore. You've got glare up and artifact oh, where it's supposed to be. That makes sense. And because so basically what I heard you say is they're buying the Amazon knockoff lights and they're like, fuck the rules in the U.S. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. If yeah, it doesn't yeah. say this is street legal, then it it is probably going to blind the crap out of everybody coming on. And <laughs> yeah, but you'll see great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good in some ways, but uh, there's a reason that they have regulations like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's well west out there in some ways. So years ago. I had never night done a night ride before and um i don't know what the circumstance was i mean i think it's probably just had to do with winter and you know as as the 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 sunlight gets shorter and you want to go on those after work rides in the middle of the week finally one of us was like hey let's get some lights we're gonna go do this night ride and um 
we went out and we we did our first night ride and it was like we were hooked man because it took every trail that we ever rode and maybe rode too many times and was kind of bored of and just made them all brand new again yeah. you know and and that first year that we kind of got me and my friend group got into night riding we actually rode night rides through the entire year like even once it got to be summer we were still riding night rides because we we're like dude it's cooler we don't even care like my one buddy he could like you know go to his kids baseball practice and come home eat dinner tuck them into bed we'd go meet at the trailhead at like nine o'clock at night and ride until midnight you know and then yeah. then have a couple of beers and next thing you know we're like why did we do that <laughs> exactly i mean it's it all depends on the area you're in and the type of riding you're into. And I mean, there's yeah. tons of different reasons to ride at night. You just, you picked up on several right there. Just the fact that it's cooler in the summer. You got friends with kids that have to put their kids down yeah. before they have like one parent gets free time. Like right. there's, there's all kinds of reasons to do it, but you know, it's also, it's what you make of it and you can, yeah. you can make it like, Oh, I just want to be able to ride more. So lights are a necessity or, yeah. I want to go have an experience that's totally different from riding in the day. And so yeah. my life setup matters and when I do it and where it's, it's, I, I want that experience, not just trying to get on the bike more, you know, it's, I it's, try to tell people all the time. I'm like, honestly, like, it doesn't sound like if you're a guy that just rides bike in the daytime, you're like, why would I want to do that? Doesn't even make any sense. You know, like, it, like why, you know? Yeah. And, it, and, and it's like, because I'm telling you it like, it's really fun. It's really, really fun for one thing. Yeah. And I will, I will say this, and I, I wholeheartedly believe in this, that if you ride, if you do night riding, it makes you a way better rider in the daytime mm-hmm. because of, and we can I mean, talk I about this. Agree with a lot of this, but yeah, yeah. But we can, <laughs> we can talk about this because there's probably some good reason. I mean, you got some science behind you instead of me just making up shit, but like, the way that the lights are depending on which one you choose halogen or or led like either way they change the way that you look at features and what i've noticed is that because of that light color or because of the shadowing you have to ride a lot looser and you'll be going and you think you're going maybe slower maybe you are going slower i don't know but once you're in the daytime now you're riding that same trail but you have this like better sense of, of vision and all of a sudden it's like then then things like really lock in because you're like holy shit dude i'm like cooking man you know well and so there's yeah there's so much that goes into that and it's i think that that's a good bridge like what what are you looking at when you're looking at a trail vert from daytime versus nighttime during the day yeah. if you're in the desert or under tree canopy it's very different but right. the time of day matters if you're right. on a trail riding into the sun coming at you, then the glare from the sun, the shadows that it casts on features on the ground, very different from the light being at your back versus yeah. coming from the sides. And you can ride a trail multiple times a day and have it look totally different because you might have a really chunky raw trail, but if the light's at your back, it's not casting shadows from those, those uh, objects from your point of view. So the trails look flatter when the light's behind you, like low in the sky versus directly up north ahead or coming in from the side. And so that's on, on 
on trails, depth really matters because you're trying to you're trying to read the trail like section by section as it rapidly goes past you. So your brain is yeah. taking in not just the thing you're looking at, but the whole environment around you really rapid fire. And every frame, you have to be able to get as much detail as possible. And it has to look three dimensional and real. So if there's no shadows on the trail, if there's no, you know, if the light isn't coming in from a certain direction, if it's just diffuse, you know, if it's bright enough daylight, that's that's pretty ideal riding conditions because you can still yeah. see pretty well. But but if you have um, like I'm talking about with the sunlight at your back, you're riding at dusk, that trail might look totally flat. And what happens is if you you have a trail that's super rocky or chunky and there's rocks sticking up out of the dirt, but because there's no shadows, you can't tell if it's actually sticking up or if it's kind of just a rock that's embedded in the dirt. And so you can't yeah. read it as dimensional when you're doing it really quickly, kind of out of the corner of your eye, you know? So having having a light But I setup, think you run into that with the lights though too then because of where your light is, is always coming from behind, behind it like that. And right. then there's something to do with the color of the light that really kind of makes, at least here in Northern California, I, I haven't ridden night ride everywhere else, but man, when it gets dusty, like that color of the light really makes it hard to differentiate the rock from the trail. Right. And and you wouldn't think that that would be that critical, but it definitely is because yeah, the, yeah. the terrain very, very, uh, very a lot. So you know, the way you ride them or weight them or corner off them, you know, you need to modify that based on what you're seeing. But dusty is dusty is one thing that's that's totally different um, from color and from uh, where the light is coming from. So uh, but they all matter for sure. When it's dusty, I mean, you don't want to be behind other people because you're going to be shining through clouds of dust all the time and it's just going to be hard right. to see the trail. That's just right. a physical phenomenon that it doesn't matter what light you have. It's it's going to be hard to see through that. Um, yeah, yeah. I would advise to just turn off your helmet light in that scenario if you have both helmet and handlebar and just uh -huh. use your light because anything on your head that's closer to your eyes is just going to flash you right in front of your eyes and it's going to be harder to see the trail. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I didn't really think about it. I just break. I just break. I'm like, you know what? See you later, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's definitely that. <laughs> You're trying to react quick, though. Um, and, and I think this comes back more to like how you perceive the trail. Having a handlebar mounted light makes a big difference versus just a helmet light. And, and we have yeah. this conversation constantly with people. There's a lot of personal preference. Everybody's got their own way of doing things, what they're comfortable with for a number yeah. of different reasons. What I found is that most people have a preference because it's the way a buddy did it and that's how they did it the first time and they've never done it differently. And so that's mm -hmm. the best way, um, which is not scientific. So um, what I try to prove people- I wanna hear the science best way. Well, the science best way is to try different setups and see what works <laughs> Yeah. Because I know what works best for me and there's a reason we design our lights the way we do and it's based off of that. It's, it's wanting to be able to perceive the trail as realistic as possible, as quickly as possible while you're riding. And a handlebar light helps a lot with that because it gives you depth because it's, yeah. you know, it's all about where your eye is from, where your eyes are and where your uh, lights are mounted in respect to that. So if you have a light mounted right next to your eyes pointing out, you get no depth of field whatsoever because you have no shadows because they're in the same axis pointing at everything. But if you have a light down here, sorry, down here. I'm not yeah. Really yeah. Yeah, so for people that are listening, he's saying the light that the handlebar light is the here. Right. This is the podcast, yeah. Um, it's all right. Some people are watching too, so it's both. So 
Yeah, so let, let me use words slightly more. Um, so if, you're, if your bar light is lower, it's kind of scraping the ground forward. Yeah, yeah. And you're looking down on top of that because your eyes are above the handlebar light. And so what happens right. is if you have a rock or a root sticking out of the trail, that'll cast a shadow down the trail from your handlebar light, which is, it sounds like shadows are are a bad thing. It's a bad word, but they're, they're not for three-dimensional analysis of-, of Yeah, it helps you understand what the hell's going on. Right. For a long so, time, I only rode with a hand, with the headlight, like one mm -hmm. on my head, because um, let's just say that's all I could afford, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, and to me, that made the most sense. And that's what I tell people like, hey, if you're only going to buy one, buy one for your head, because your handlebars aren't always turned the way that the trail is going. And yeah. sometimes you want to be looking around this corner and your, your handlebars aren't going that way. And it's not going to, it's not going to play out as well. But mm -hmm. I then follow up with, even if you're going to buy, like, if you're going to buy a good light for your headlight, like do yourself a little bit of a favor and at least go to Amazon and buy like the cheapest freaking $20 knockoff freaking light that you can put on your handlebars. Because the first time that you're hauling balls down some trail, at like 20 miles an hour. And for some reason your light turns off. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you realize it was probably worth having another light on your bike somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and fast. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wouldn't recommend using Amazon as a yeah. uh, reliable backup per se, but right. I completely agree with that from a safety yeah. standpoint. Shit happens, right? Like, yeah. we try to make stuff as reliable as possible, but stuff still yeah. happens in the field. Yeah. And, having a backup for anything is good. That's why you carry tools and spare parts, you know, right, and spare right, food right. on the trail because, yeah. you know, stuff happens. So, yeah, um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, hey, if you if you have the money, you know, buy 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 a couple good lights, you know, um, or, or buy them at least, you know, buy the cheap one from the respectable company. But at the very least, some people, you know, they're like, they don't want to hear that at all. They don't want to spend any money. I'm like, look, I'm telling you right now, I don't want to see you go over a cliff because your freaking light went off and you didn't know where you're going anymore. Yeah. Turns out being able to see is important. Yeah, riding yeah. a bike. And when you're out there far away from anything else and your lights go out, it's fucking dark, like yeah. real fucking dark. <laughs> really dark. Yeah. No. And, and I mean, I, I, I agree with you that at least if you're not going to buy outbound, you should buy outbound. But if you're not going to buy outbound, just don't buy Amazon lights. Bezos has yeah. enough money, and they're they're cheap Chinese garbage. There's yeah. they're just rip off lights trying to sell anything they can for twenty bucks. The things that worry me the most about those is how many of those batteries like just blow up and start like burning, and yeah. it's like. Where are you going to like, it's, it's not a lot, but it's a lot more than literally every other manufacturer on the planet. Right. It's enough to like, be like, well, if you really don't want your house and you, you're okay with it burning down, go for it, man. <laughs> there was, there was a, a ride when I was living back in North Carolina, I did a bunch of my riding out in Pisgah and we did a, uh, did a ride with a buddy of mine who had, um, this is before outbound. Um, but I was still the light guy cause I worked for the, for Cree, the led company that manufactures okay. the LEDs. Um, we were on a ride and a buddy of mine had a cheap Amazon light with the battery pack in his camelback and uh -huh. uh, we were riding behind him and started seeing smoke coming out of the camelback and the battery pack was melting inside his backpack and they ended up throwing it in a dumpster uh, <laughs> off the side of the trail. <laughs> so oh, wow. because something shorted inside of it because it was just poorly made and it's not sealed for waterproofing yeah. or anything. 
thing. And it's like, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It um, does. But we're not trying to scare people into buying a quality product. The way I look at it is most people, they if they're really into mountain biking, they spend some money on their bikes. It's yeah. not a $300 bike from, from Walmart. So I figure if somebody's spending a few thousand dollars on their bike, they can spend a few hundred to be able to see after. Dark. Yeah. It's funny how people are though sometimes, man. It's like, yeah, dude, I got a fucking $8,000 bike. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, I only buy $7 shorts though. And you're like, yeah. really? <laughs> no, absolutely. It's, everybody's got their thing, right? And I yeah, yeah, yeah. I try not to argue with stuff like that. It's personal preference. Where oh, you yeah, 100%, is 100%. Yours, but like, I also, it just kills me to see $25 lights attached to an yeah. $8,000 bike when I know that that person is now severely limited in what they can do. Right, right. Like you can't you can't see, so you can't ride as well. Yeah. Uh, but that also, I mean, that, that kind of was one of those things I also talk about a lot is what kind of experience do you want out of night riding? And there's some people mm -hmm. who want to basically ride after dark and they want it to be just like they're riding during the day. Right. We, we can help with that. That's what we're trying to do is make a light system so that you can see the entire trail as well as possible and ride as similarly to the daytime as possible. Yeah, but yeah. Some people kind of like this, like tunnel vision, can't really see, and they're having to be more fluid, as you say, where they, they just kind of yeah. react to things as they come up because yeah. they can't see as well. That's fine. That's that's yeah. an experience you can have. And then you can use a cheaper, shittier light for that. Hopefully, it will, yeah. you know, I basically die. want it to look like a neutron star is coming down the trail with me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I want that to last for as long as I possibly want to ride. So it, it's definitely a, a, a conundrum for me, but before we get into that, cause there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> oh, yeah. sure. Um, when I first started, one of the hardest things for me to really wrap my head around was whether I should be buying a halogen light or an LED light. And it seems like most of the companies now are leaning towards LED, but, um, could, could you maybe like clear that up for people or why you would choose one or the other or why you guys as what you guys chose for your product? Yeah. So um, the answer is you will buy an LED light because that is all that's left on the market. That um, is completely supplanted halogen. Uh, Knight Rider, uh, you know, they they were the industry starters, I suppose, yeah. from surf lights into bike lights. And they used a standard halogen MR16 bulb in some of their first bike lights and okay. they actually held on to those for a while with the big ass water bottle battery uh, yeah yeah it was, had to be that big to last for an hour and a half at 200 lumens and uh, yeah the bulbs you could actually burn yourself on because they're halogen those yeah those are those are all but gone now um so anything you actually find for sale now that isn't like a uh, museum showpiece or like a historical thing is going to be led um mm -hmm. that said LEDs can be whatever you make them. So pretty much every manufacturer in the industry sticks with around a 6,000 Kelvin um, color temperature. And so when, I'm, when I say that, it's basically a cool white, a bluish white. And I think yeah. that's what most people associate with LEDs is this kind of harsh, cool white light. Um, but we can yeah, make- guess, Yeah, you can, cause you can't like, I mean, the, the studio lights that I'm using, I can turn them to yellow. So that's just lowering the Kelvin basically. Yeah, and so there's there's a bunch of different ways to do that, but basically you can vary the phosphor structure to give you exactly what spectrum of light you want. And it's not mm -hmm. just 
a a single monochromatic blue, red, green, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a for for all common high power white LEDs. It's a blue peak with a broad spectrum white phosphor. So basically, what that means is it's trying to fill in the entire visible um, spectrum of light in a fairly even manner, but it biases towards red and yellow or towards greenish blue, depending on what color temperature you want. If you want cool white, it's gonna be more towards the blue end of the spectrum. If you want warm white, it's gonna be more towards the yellow end. And obviously for like residential lights, color quality matters a lot more because you don't wanna put a light in your house that's giving you headaches and you can't tell colors apart and looks like a street light. That's not mm -hmm. acceptable. So you can make LEDs that are really high color rendering index, which is kind of a flawed metric, but that's another two hour discussion we don't need to have. Um, but high, basically it gives you the ability to tell colors apart. Um, yeah, because isn't that why they use the, uh, like more of the LEDs in kitchen so you can see water on the floor yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, so, so without getting too deep or into the brighter the white, you, you want to emulate a broad spectrum, meaning every color wavelength is represented. And mm -hmm. if you just have blue, everything looks either blue or grayscale because mm -hmm. whatever object you're shining it on either absorbs blue or reflects it at a different rate. And so mm -hmm. you basically get this grayscale of blue. If you do the same thing with red, everything will look different because different color objects absorb red at different rates than they absorb blue, but it's still grayscale. So to get something that's full color, you have to have all colors represented on some level. And you mm -hmm. can um, vary the LED source itself to give you a different spectrum based on how how good of color rendering you want and what color point you want it to be. Um, so for, for bike lights, there's not been a big push to have high CRI, high color rendering index lights, because it generally requires a broader spectrum phosphor, which is less efficient. So if you want max lumen outputs, which has been the you know calling card for the bike industry forever, is how can we make it as bright as possible? Having high CRI hurts that mission. So you have to have less light output. It's less efficient for the benefit of better color rendering. And there's a balance. Who do you think the reason is that that they're doing that? Like, is it just for the like marketing fucking number to say you have the biggest number? Or is it people that are getting into this light business that maybe don't know the engineering side well enough or something like how light really works? Or It's, it's a little of both. It's because uh -huh. people in general don't, understand how light works on a level that, that they can make that kind of decision. They don't know what CRI means. Right. And they don't know the difference between um, good color rendering and bad color. And they just say, oh, that's an LED because I can't see the colors. Like, well, no, LEDs can do whatever you want them to do. We just only made them that way for this product because that's the only thing the industry demanded. Nobody was saying, right. hey, I need a bike light where I can see colors better. And so right. everyone in the industry is now racing to put out the most lumens possible. And that gets you into the one-upsmanship of, you know, yeah. days are just gonna put a bigger number on the side of their leg every year and that's your upgrade. Yeah, uh, We're not gonna do that because that's not yeah. what we're trying to do. But this, you there's know, a certain point where I don't feel like you're like getting any benefit out of more lumens. You're, you're not like, because yeah. your eyes respond to that because you have pupils and your yeah. pupils, if you go out in the bright sunlight, your pupils will contract. And that's, yeah. that's, that's because it's, uh, letting let, let less light into your eyes to protect your eyes. If you're yeah. in the dark after a while, or you're really high or something, your 
people <laughs> will dilate and they'll right. get really big. And the reason right. they do that when it's dark is because they're trying to open up as wide as possible, as much let as much light in as possible so that you can see better at dark. And that's dark adaptation. What right. happens is that your eyes take 15 or 20 minutes to fully adjust to darkness where it's as bright as it's going to be, but yeah. it takes fractions of a second for them to constrict to pr right. protect your eyes from damage. So when you go out in the bright sunlight or you flash yourself with light, it takes a while for your vision to come back. Right, but, right, yeah. But if you're if a bright light is on and the light goes off, you can't immediately see in the dark. It takes time. So that's right. why we're trying to design our lights to reduce hot spots. So particularly mm -hmm. for handlebar lights, um, because if you turn your bars off to the side a little bit to like counter steer into a corner, they might right. be shooting directly at some foliage just off the off the side of the trail, which is going to flash back at you really bright. And your yeah. eyes are going to respond to that. And it's going to take time for your eyes to your pupils to then dilate more to let more light in. So if you have enormous amounts of light, what happens is your eyes adjust to that. So right. there's, there's definitely lim definitely limitations where at lower light levels, your eye can't adjust any further because your pupils can't can only dilate but so much. But yeah. There's there's a limit, and that's why cars are limited to around two thousand lumens because that's enough to see at night. And yeah, I was gonna say when I when I upgraded to like having an eighteen hundred lumen light, mm -hmm. that was pretty much where I felt like it was the sweet spot, you know. And whether our, because if you have eighteen hundred on your head and you have eighteen hundred like on your handlebars, mm -hmm. you still have eighteen hundred lumens of light. Like it's not like you get like thirty six hundred, right? Well, you do, but your eye doesn't perceive it as that. So there's, right. there's a difference between actual brightness and perceived brightness because your eyes have this chemical response. There's chemical receptors in the back of your, your eyes that, that are responding to saturation from photons hitting them at certain wavelengths. And mm -hmm. when your eyes are too saturated, then you start basically starts to get dim. That's why like, if you stare at a bright light and you look away from it, you get that like ghost the of halo. it. Yeah, that's yeah. where your chemical receptors are oversaturated and it takes them time to kind of come back down to earth. Um, right, right. The same thing happens with any color of light, any any beam pattern, but the more intense it is, uh, the more severe that effect is. So I think that you can you can double your light output, but it doesn't it's not perceived as doubled light output. So you really have to have like if you have an 1800 lumen light, you really need to have 7200 lumens for it to feel twice as bright to your right, eyes. And it's right. that's what I was getting at. Yeah. It's it's hard to educate or rather it's hard to market that way because I don't want to say, hey, our light's not as bright, but it, it'll feel brighter because yeah. of this. It's like, yeah, the car has half the horsepower, but it'll feel faster. Like that only works yeah. if you get to drive the car and, and experience it. And so Yeah. So what I was gonna say is like right around that point is whenever I felt like this is bright enough for how I'm riding and it, it's definitely not like holding me back any. And I didn't feel like whenever I saw my friends that had more lumens, like it really just seemed like their pattern was wider. Like they were brighting, like white, like getting wider on the trail, but where like, let's say when I first started night riding, I think the brightest lights we could buy were like 600 lumens. Yeah. So to have like, a 600 on your head and a 600 on your bar, you were like, I definitely would feel like going down the trail that I was out like quotes here for people that are listening air quotes, like outrunning my light. 
You, you know what I mean? Like where it'd be like, it was not bright enough that I could see far enough into the trail that I would be setting myself up for the speed that I wanted to go, you know? Right. But at 1800 lumens, I definitely feel like, no, you're good, you know? Yeah, and, and that, it, it all comes back down to the beam pattern, how the light is actually spread onto the trail. Um, yeah, but I, and maybe I was getting lucky with how I what I bought, you know, I don't know. Yeah, well, and and you haven't tried ours yet, right? So yeah, no, I'm definitely interested. So, so that's well, what. I, so, that. so you uh, were talking earlier about um, the different colors and how the LEDs can like affect things and whatnot. You have a package that you have a headlamp and a handlebar lamp. Yeah. When you design that as a package, do you have different lights in the handlebar one than you do in the head one because you're trying to like make that mesh proper that you were talking about or yeah so there's there's a couple of things going on in terms of color and and the spectrum of the light um we keep we keep that constant between the two lights because we we don't want it to be like a blue light and a yellow light having right because that definitely gives you that lets you see beam artifacts and you get distracted by those bouncing around the trail rather than just focusing on the trail what's um, a beam artifact it sounds like something when you like took too much acid or something yeah, so like if you walk out and if you walk out in direct sunlight, uh, there's no artifact. It's super even. Everything is getting the same intensity of sunlight on the ground. Okay, when yeah. A flashlight. Um, you have a typically you know carry around a flashlight. You have a spot that right. the light is being focused on. Beam right. artifacts are basically things that you notice that are not either not intentional or distracting in that pattern. So if you have a spot and there's this little like flint off in the corner that's not intended to be there, but it's like reflecting off of something. Yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Planes. Like, You're like you what is that, that over there? Yeah, yeah, I got or it. There's a little just, crack in the, in the in the flashlight lens and it's exactly. shooting a little light over there and you're like, oh, you're, you're, you're sidetracked by it. I get what you're saying. Yep. Or, or even just the edge of the beam pattern. So if you have a, a typical flashlight and a lot of bike lights are this way because they're just flashlight optics, they have a circular spot beam pattern or there's the hot spot where all the light is mainly concentrated and they have the spill that's generally unfocused light just coming out um, without getting uh, collimated into into that hot spot and then you have a a cutoff edge where basically right. there's no light outside of that and uh -huh. all of each of those interfaces those edges can be very harsh to the eye and when you move the light around you notice those and right that can be distracting on the trail. So what we're trying to do is rather than pump out as much light as possible into this one spot right in the middle of the trail, we're trying to make it look more like it does during the daytime. And the way we do that is by balancing the handlebar beam with the helmet beam for their, those specific mounting locations where we want the handlebar light to be super wide, very even beam pattern for mm -hmm. a number of reasons. One, your handlebars are never pointing exactly where you want them to point. So yeah. you need to point the bars where you need to go, not necessarily where you need to be looking. And so yeah, 100 percent like yeah, if you have a narrow beam on the bars, you turn your bars just a few degrees and you lose yeah. the trail. Um, yeah, no, I definitely always am looking for a wide beam pattern for what I put on my handlebars. Exactly what you're saying, because you just want to light up everything. Right. You know, and, and it's, you don't it's really amazing. care about the spot. The spot is like that's where your head is. That's where you're like. You know, okay. Right. And so if you, have a, if you have a narrow spot on your helmet, that's great because that you can direct exactly where it's going. So you can place that light exactly where you need it in your field of view to fill in gaps that the handlebar light isn't filling. And 
Because of that, you're a narrower beam. That means you're covering less area, so you can use less total light output, less power, which means a smaller battery, which means a lighter weight pack, which is much better because it's on your head, which means it's yeah. feel it on your helmet. You can feel strain right. on your neck on longer rides, and you want to reduce that. Well, it's a good thing that we actually want the handlebar light to do the heavy lifting because you're not going to notice the weight on your bars nearly as much as it is when it's on your neck. So right, right. by having a wider light on the bars, not only are you eliminating those hot spots so that when you turn your bars, you don't get the flash off the foliage on the side of the trail. You don't lose the trail because your hot spot is now left the building. And uh, because of that, you're, you're covering a larger area, which means you need more light to get it up to the same intensity level. So you need a larger battery in order to have some more run times, which means a heavier light. And it makes more sense for that to be on the bike anyways. Um, but we want the handlebar light to do the heavy lifting because of what we just talked about earlier with the depth of field where you can get these shadows cast from the bars so that a trail mm -hmm. looks rocky and chunky. It doesn't look flat because if you can't see those shadows, you might come into a rock on the trail that you're reading, you know, you're trying to see and process the trail at speed. You might yeah. read this flat accidentally. And so you might be too far forward over the bars. And now that rock takes the bike out from underneath you and you're off balance yeah. coming into the next thing. It's amazing how much little stuff like that matters. And that's why the periphery also matters. We want good periphery yeah. because during the day, you can't, it's not just the trail you see, you see everything. All right? this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it doesn't seem like it should matter until you try it with, try riding at night with a light that actually covers basically everything from your handlebars forward. And it helps with balance. It helps you not get surprised by stuff coming out around corners. Um, yeah, I definitely, like I said, I mean, I, I said it earlier in, in our conversation, like the, um, the night riding to me, like I, I would learn to ride looser because of, you know, kind of some of those in inconsistencies with the lights and the yeah. rocks, basically like you're coming up on stuff and you just have to ride looser because mm -hmm. you don't know, maybe like, like your, your brain's telling you, Oh, that rock's not sticking out of the ground that far. Yeah. And then when you hit it, you're like, yeah, it was <laughs> right. Because you're not just seeing, all right, there's this one rock coming up. I know what to yeah. do for it. I'm going to be prepared. It's like there's a lot of them constantly on the trail, yeah, yeah. unless you're riding just super buff single track. Yeah. Uh, and like I got a buddy uh, back in North Carolina that he likes his bikes to be, you know, toothbrush clean, very specific way. Of, like he doesn't yeah. have anything superfluous, no bottle cages or anything. Yeah. And so he, he just basically only rides with helmet light because he refuses to mount anything to his bike. Oh, and there you go. He's, he's willing to try it now that I'm part of Outbound. He's, he's willing to actually try our handlebar lights. But, um, you know, what I've, I've basically been telling him for a while is like, that's that's fine. That's your personal preference. And you yeah. can ride with that just fine. But you will never be able to read the trail at night with just a helmet light as well as you can during the day because you get no depth of field because of the physical yeah. of your lights. So there was a guy on YouTube. I can't remember who it was that I was watching a while ago. And he was saying, I don't remember which way he said, but. I think he said the opposite of what I do. And he was saying that it was better to have the brighter light on your handlebars than it was on your head. And I, I, I remember thinking, Oh wow, that's really surprising to me. Cause a lot of times my handlebar light, unless I'm like, you know, bombing. And at that point I just turn everything up as bright as I can. Yeah. But even then they're, they're both those lights are the same lumen output. And, mm -hmm. um, but typically I would be running my, my handlebar light low 
let's just say like i don't know if it's low end would be maybe i'd be running it on medium so it's at like eight nine hundred lumens or something like that and and then my head would be at you know 12 or 1500 or something like that and that's normally where i would ride at with the brighter light on my head but you you kind of i saw you you shake your head yes whenever the brighter light should be on the bottom so can you explain yeah. to me why and um why why i've been doing it wrong <laughs> well and, and this is the thing i don't want to say that anybody's doing it wrong but right. here's here's why we do it the way that we do right now and, and for the record we're going to make some we're, we're making new products all the time and we're well it's it's hard that's a whole other discussion about supply yeah. chain industry but we're making new products and we're going to make some more powerful helmet lights for people who prefer to ride that way um yeah but the way we have our evo dh package set, set up right now is we have about 2000 lumens on the bars and about 850 on the helmet and oh, wow. okay. the reason we have that balance that way is because uh one runtime we want the runtime to be fairly balanced between the two because you're going to be using both for the ride and mm -hmm. um, we uh like we like i mentioned moments ago with a narrower beam and less you can use less light output which lets you use less power so we don't need 2000 lumens on the helmet in order to give us the visibility we need to to be even if we put 2000 lumens on the helmet and on the bar with a narrow beam pattern on the helmet basically that helmet is going to wash out everything else in the frame and that kind of negates a lot of the benefit of your handlebar light so you don't mm -hmm. want your your helmet light to overpower that beam pattern you still want the benefits of both so we basically made the the helmet still have peripheral spill and scatter but definitely a more defined spot uh, mm -hmm. with, with taper off so that you can direct that say you don't you don't want to outrun your lights right the handlebar right. by itself there's a speed limit like you can outrun them at, at a certain point because yeah. it's very wide and even um and uh on the the helmet we we use that to fill in that gap so that if you're going 30 miles an hour uh down a straightaway uh the handlebar light gives you your periphery and right in front of you and your helmet light is focused down the trail so you can see the run out uh, yeah maybe it's how i would set my lights because i would usually my handlebar light i would not i would kind of point it down more mm -hmm. so that it wasn't like pointing straight out you know so i would be pointing it kind of like just at a little bit of an angle down so that it was shining more onto the ground yeah. than my head. And then I would use my head to be able to like really look up and down the trail or around the corners and stuff like that. And I, I guess that's maybe why I, I, I don't know, I did it that way, but I also, my headlamp, I'm using a, a battery pack that's just, you know, wired through yeah. my helmet and down my shirt and whatever, you know? Sure. Well, and we wanted, we, we felt like there was a sweet spot, like you're talking about yeah. around 1,500 lumens. Like that's why we're shooting for around 2,000 on the bars because we feel like that's a pretty good sweet spot for the overwhelming majority of riders. Now, doesn't say it's best for everybody, but yeah, yeah. we're not going to make an 8,000 lumen light unless it's just for fun. Right. To tick a box. Like if somebody, there's an 8,000 lumen light on the market right now, so we might make an 8,001 lumen light, you know, right. the SRAM Shimano battle, but right. Um, but it's it's not a product that we'd use um, right going brighter than that doesn't give you a really tangible benefit versus the extra weight and everything you have to add to keep up with the runtime the extra thermals because if you have that much light 
it's going to overheat a lot faster and that means it's going to have to dial the power back so you're not actually getting that output the whole time that's yeah. a whole of worms but i think for us the way we're designing our, our lights currently is we want you to be able to perceive the trail as as realistic as possible and to do that you have to have more power on the bars so you can get the depth of field and then helmet light cannot overpower that but we want that to basically the helmet light is basically just filling in gaps so down trail at speed around corners weird features when you're going over rollers and stuff and you want to look down over something yeah. those that's where the helmet light is is for and the handlebar light basically does everything so for the most part me personally i'll just ride with our evo on the bars for most of my like casual rides i'll just have the one light i'll have the helmet light but a lot of times i don't even turn it on because it's That's fine for the type of riding i'm doing and, yeah and, and what i'll do I, is I, I usually turn my helmet off if i'm climbing and i'll just yeah. keep my my handlebars on low just because yeah. i'm trying to like and and let me preface this like when i'm going on night rides like it's like a lot of times they're like we're starting in the dark so it's not like like, hey, we started out and then it got dark and then we finished the last sure. hour. It's like, we're going out on a ride that I know is gonna take three hours or maybe even a little bit more. And and you're like trying to make sure that your lights work that whole time, right? You know, oh, yeah. so you're like, hey, I'm climbing, I'm gonna turn my headlight off or I'm gonna turn my, my bars down to as low as they go. Or, hey, we're on a road right now, I'm gonna turn everything off. You exactly. know, cause I, I can't freaking screw this up and the moon's out, you know, so like, yeah. And that's, that's something that a lot of people don't do. They, they don't think about that sort of thing when they're riding, they just turn their light on and go ride and they don't touch yeah. it again. So we, we actually baked that into our user interface too, because uh, there's different types of riders and there's, you know, a lot of times like on a pedally loop, you don't want to constantly futzing with the light output and you're just right. kind of pedaling the whole time. So it's up and down. You don't have a long climb. It's a slow yeah. speed. So you just, you turn it on, you let it go. We have yeah. an adaptive mode for that, that basically starts at high output, at max output, and then slowly tapers as your eyes adjust to the darkness. So you don't notice the taper off, um, mm -hmm. and then just kind of very slowly, you know, maintains for the rest of the oh, ride. Wow. That gives you additional runtime for the set it and forget it type of ride. Yeah, so yeah. Just hammering. But then for like, group rides and i imagine what a lot of your your types of rides are uh is more enduro style where you know yeah. shit goes wrong people are maintaining you know fixing something on the trail right. side or you stop for a beer or you've got a 30 minute climb where you yeah, don't yeah. need 4000 lumens so you put right. your lights low you just traipse up there you save all this battery life and then when you get to the top you put it on max and so we have a we have a, a an adaptive and a high mode they're different because the adaptive will will taper the output as it goes. The high is going to be 100% output no matter what. So it does not trail right. off. And this is something right. that there's not really any lights that do this currently because they want to say, oh, it's a thousand lumens for two hours. Well, yeah, it starts at a thousand, but one hour in, you're at 500 lumens because it's just tapering the output as the battery dies. Oh, we want wow. you to be able to go for a ride, and after two hours of pedaling up the mountain. You've got your descent at the end. We want you to turn it on high and actually get max output, not right. 40% or whatever's left, right? Um, so we keep those as different modes, but then we have high and low so that you have the slow climb, fast descent, and you can yeah. control that and maximize your ride time. So you can get a ton more ride time 
if you just turn your lights down on climbs, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. And, you know, I didn't really think about that, like how different it is geographically. Like if I was riding in Sedona, my lights would probably be bright almost all the time because yep. it's like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. You know, we're like here, you know, Northern California is probably a lot, but I don't think we told people that you're you're up in, wait, no, you mentioned PNW at the beginning. Yeah. Like, uh, like we have long climbs and long descents. Yeah. You know, and if you're there's some trail systems, yeah, that are up down, but like most of what we do is like climb for an hour and then descend for 15 minutes or whatever, you know, like, like yeah. it, it's a lot of that. So the way that I would utilize my light is definitely different than somebody that's in a, a place like, like even the Midwest or like, like Texas, yeah. where there's not a whole lot of elevation gain and loss in their trail. Yeah. So they're, probably more consistent on where they keep their light where with me it's like bright as hell or not really at all you know yeah. and you know i like i grew up in raleigh north carolina in the piedmont of the state and like our local trails the the max elevation change from the bottom to the top is like 200 feet so yeah. the the hotly contested uh new light downhill after the big switch is like a 24 second downhill that right is the the best downhill in town you know yeah so, yeah, yeah. We, when we go for rides out there, yeah, we don't really mess with our lights much because it's it's constantly up and down. But here, yeah, every trail that I go on, it's like a thousand foot climb and a thousand right. foot descent. There's not really yeah, a lot yeah. of in between. And even the types of trails, like you know, I I was living in um, in the desert in uh, Phoenix uh, just before I moved up here recently. So you rode Somo a lot and stuff like that. Super fun over there. Yeah. And, and the McDowell's actually super give a little shout out to the McDowell mountains right near South mountain. That is, I have to get over there. I have, I've only ridden South mountain every time I've been there. So well, South mountains iconic and it's just such good riding. It just yeah. also gets super crowded and we live near the McDowell's the McDowell's have lots of large, sharp, loose rocks. It's just, it's, it just eats wheels. So it's, yeah. A totally different type of terrain from from South Mountain, where you got a little more like rounded slab rock and yeah. kind of climb moves. This is more just like fields of rocks trying to destroy you. Yeah, and I I love that. So for there, like handlebar light, absolutely essential. Otherwise, the trail looks flat, and it is very much not. Uh, yeah, hard to drive. <laughs> but I come out here, and you know, in Pacific Northwest, we got trails here that are actually built for mountain bikes. Holy right. crap! <laughs> um and uh there's there's some trails that are smooth and buff and they have berms that are sculpted and you know your your needs in terms of lighting change based on the the, the terrain um yeah the the best example i can think of this was in uh bentonville we were out at uh, bentonville bike fest recently and um they've got some you know they're walmart they got a couple guys, uh, Walton brothers that are just dumping money into that. Yeah. Area. Yeah. They're building all kinds of shit over there. Yeah. And, and you can tell because the trails are all uh, meticulously built and maintained. And, um, there's even parts of them like the glow trail that's actually paved for a portion of it, but it's basically just a roller coaster for bikes. Uh, yeah. There's some trails there that are like several mile long pump tracks, essentially where you're just constantly up, down, up, down, up, down, pumping your bike. And it was the only time I had been night riding where I thought, I don't even want my bar light right now. I only want my helmet light because the trail was smooth. There was no yeah. rocks up out of anywhere. It doesn't because even matter then. Yeah. Up and down, your bike is pitching up and down constantly, but your head is staying level. So your helmet gives you the best visibility on that trail. There's right. just 
not a lot of places that are like that though. It's, it's kind of, it's special terrain versus yeah. most single track is it, handlebar light is going to be a much bigger benefit than, than a helmet light by itself. But right. Right. Brain matters. Do you see like, I don't know, like if I'm tapping into the, the, the crystal ball correctly, but do you see like the future of lights where they're maybe kind of, looking so to speak to like decide what kind of light output they should put based on what kind of reflection they're getting off of like like if i rode in in tahoe it's granite and white and like more reflective than if i was to ride in like let's say up where you're at where it's the ground's pretty dark and the trees or like even santa cruz like here it's still in northern california where it's like the lighting would be totally like maybe a, a different shade of light would be more suited for that type of trail than it would be uh, uh, up there. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very good question. Um, so there's, there's two things. The, in terms of like adaptive lighting where you can vary the light output based on what it sees. So you reduce these in high intensity flashes off of objects and things like that. Um, that's something that the automotive industry is working on for car headlights. Um, right. They exist in the world. The U.S. does not allow them, and they're really damn hard to manufacture. Um, we worked mm. on some some stuff like that uh, my my previous uh, career, and um, it is incredibly expensive and complex. And I I don't think we'll ever see anything like that in the bike light industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for for road maybe um with kind of like adaptive high beams kind of thing but uh -huh. even that i don't think has a whole lot of i think it's basically being too clever by half i think it's overcomplicating a fairly simple thing for uh -huh. biking. not saying that we don't that we couldn't benefit from it but i think because you're not in a a vehicle that's generating its own power and has all this additional cost baked in so you can kind of support this it just a lot of those high-tech features are are not really going to transfer well to this this industry. So I don't think we'll see much like that. But in terms of like color quality um, and different spectrums for different types of terrain, that's a question I get a lot from moto people because, uh -huh. and uh, I don't know if that's the right term. Um, yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> people who ride motos and do off-roading, um, particularly for off-roading, amber lights are really popular and having amber filters. The idea being that it helps you cut through dust um, so you don't get as much glare off dust, kind of like fog uh -huh. lights. Um, and it's, that's a whole whole other conversation, but essentially I, I don't really buy into a lot of that having enough benefit to be worth doing for specific riding areas. We got to do some experimentation with that. And in fact, I, I don't have them right next to me, but I've got, you know, a bunch of lights where I've got, you know, four different samples with different color points. Uh, mm -hmm. from warm to cool and different color rendering indexes. So I can ride with them and see what feels best on the trail and what helps in different terrains. Because if you've got a desert environment where it's basically just shades of brown or PNW where it's darker browns and bright greens yeah. uh, or this like granite um, uh, or slate where it's like, uh, like more shinier gray or like bright yeah, yeah. surfaces, uh, it's it's all different, but I don't think that any one spectrum of light is going to really help with any of those. I think it's more going to be about metering your output and changing your beam pattern for the type of trail you're riding. And that's where we may mm -hmm. see more, um, you know, beam pattern options in the future or more like adaptable convertible lights. 
but honestly, we're, we're still ways away from that because we at outbound are basically the only company putting in effort on optical design right now to make something that's truly optimized for, for bicycling. Um, uh -huh. there are some companies that have, you know, they put in like a modicum of effort to make it not a flashlight, but it's not, you know, like light in motion. Um, they've, they've got some optics they've built from scratch for over the years and their Sika in particular, they're not terrible. Um, but, but they're good for certain applications and that's, that's their attempt. Um, and there's other companies that, that don't make any attempt whatsoever. They just grab off the shelf optics because they don't have an optical engineer in house and they don't want to pay for it. Um, yeah, but I think we'll start seeing more because we're, you know, kind of like the bike industry, we get to a point where it's saturated with a bunch of good products and in order to differentiate, you have to actually be better and do something different. Yeah. And I think there's, there's only, but so many ways to go without adding in a bunch of bells and whistles that have uh, arguably little benefit to the riding versus custom optics and beam pattern that have a direct uh, immediate impact on what you're seeing and how you see it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think for me, for like lights, like when I'm looking at them, the, like obviously I'll look at the lumen, but one of the first things I'm looking at is like, how long does the battery last? Yeah. You know, at, at what rate? And then um, that that's really what's deciding what I'm buying. And it's yeah. like, cause I, 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 I don't know, at least what I've found is like, it seems like the rides that I'm going on are longer than what maybe some of the lights are intended for. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's that all comes back down to use case, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that forces you to be one that kind of meters your output. You pay attention to it because if you didn't pay attention, you wouldn't make it through the ride. Right. Um, oddly enough, I think that the e-bike market is actually kind of helping educate consumers on this a little because uh -huh. they're starting to look at, at range and right. realize that, oh, if I outrun my range, I'm going to have to pedal this heavy-ass bike back with no right. assist. That's going to suck. Right. Uh, and so that kind of helps people relate to, oh, lights are kind of the same thing. You have a battery, yeah. you have a power, and you can't regenerate it on the trail. Um, and so we're our approach to that is kind of taking, because um, we don't, we fucking hate wires. Wires are dumb. I hate being, right. like, having my head tethered to some other part of my body. Yeah, I know. It sucks, especially when a branch catches it. Yes, uh, <laughs> so we, we are going full wireless for all of our, our lights from here going forward. Um, and um, the way we're addressing your concern about runtime is by having pass-through charging, because they're all USB-C rechargeable, but we want to be able to charge them while we're riding so that you can um, extend your runtime pretty significantly if you want it um, by plugging it in. But if you don't need it, you're just going for an after-work spin or... Yeah. You know, like a lot of a lot of people do rides where it's like at dusk and they're going to finish yeah. in the dark. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They don't need the runtime, so they don't want the wires. They want the lightest weight, simplest thing yeah. they can just slap on and go. So 100%. we're trying to be able to do both, um, which is something that a lot of companies don't offer. They either have a wired battery pack where you're stuck with it or they have USB charging where there's no way to charge it while you're riding. So there's no. Yeah, that makes sense. I know. I totally know what you're saying. Um, I, I can agree with you there that that's actually, uh, that's, that's pretty cool because my, my fix in that situation would be like, if you're running the USB light because you want it light on your head, 
like then I guess you just carry an extra one in your bag. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that would be the that would be the way to do it. But, but yeah, I can see what you're saying. Like that would be nice that you could, you know, hey, I know the first you know 45 minutes or whatever we're gonna be climbing. I could have this wire hooked up and it's it's pulling off of a, a battery pack. Let's just say in my backpack or my pocket or whatever it is. Yeah. And then yeah. later. Unplug I'm like, all right, unplug it, let's jam, you know, and then I don't feel like I got something pulling me or whatever. Um, yeah, and, and it's something that I think, you know, I, I know some people that carry spare lights because, um, you know, like the, the Industry 9 crew back in Asheville, North Carolina, they love yeah. night riding. They have these epic Tuesday night supper club rides where it's, yeah, yeah. you know, usually a big shuttle with, even with the shuttle, it's still two, 3,000 feet of climbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah hours and yeah they bring a lot of them bring extra lights because there's attrition when you have a large group things break and people yeah rip their helmet lights off on branches and stuff right and, um stuff happens so they just carry extras um but a lot of people don't want to pay the money for one light much less multiple lights yeah so we figure that if you can have a standard like usb power bank that you'd use to charge your phone those right. are a lot cheaper a lot more ubiquitous now you can carry one of those and have that as your backup it's less expensive and more versatile and then just yeah. have the light. Um, so we're trying to make it simpler, right? We're not oh, trying that, to- That makes like a lot of sense. I really like that types of light. Yeah. Uh, I will say this. The one thing that I hate about every light that I've owned is I would love whatever I have on my head to like make a beep when I have like three minutes left or something like that. Like, give me an audible noise, like a light changing to a red blinky light that's on top of my head. Doesn't help much, right? <laughs> what does that do? That doesn't do anything, you know? Yeah. Like, well, and actually, I, I don't know if you'll be able to to hear it through here, but yeah, I probably can't hear that. But yeah, this is uh, this is this is a light that um, we were messing around with stuff like that. Um, so I put a little uh, cell phone vibrator motor in here. Um, oh, okay. So when, when you change modes, you can feel it vibrating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah, so I can, it basically can give you different, like, vibration through your helmet so that you can get a, a tactile. Right, you would feel that. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah, we were playing around with that because I thought it was a cool idea. And my, uh, my uh, buddy who's helping with stuff just really wanted to build one. So um, we, uh, we did this and basically try to figure out how much vibration you need in order to actually feel it on the trail right. and discern it from everything else. And it's a lot. Um, it, it takes a lot to get through the helmet into your body. So um, anyways, the point is- Especially while the freaking Indians are pounding on your eardrums because you're trying to go up some stupid hill and you're- <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're messing around with stuff like that. Um, Audible is, is a very simple way to do it, um, but we're- um, we have some other solutions in the future that we're we're playing around with as well because that's yeah any indicator that's on your helmet is effectively useless yeah i don't even understand why they waste the time like i don't really care like i mean yeah if that light is on my handlebars and it starts blinking red okay that makes yeah. sense but if it's on my head this is pointless 
Like, why are yep. you even wasting the the energy to turn that light red? You know, like, give me yeah. another three seconds of light, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we need to have a, a mode that you can enable that just disables any indicators like that. Right, right. But in my head, like, I do IT as my, my day job, and it's like, the little tiny speaker that's on a motherboard that gives you like the BIOS chirps is mm -hmm. like, it's, it's so small and it just does one tone. And that's really all I need is just like, beep. I'm like, Oh shit, you got three minutes left, dude. Yeah. Like figure out what you're doing right now. You know? <laughs> like, Yeah. And that's, it all just comes back down to uh, cost and complexity, right? On some yeah, level, yeah. we're going to make it hit certain and cost targets. And so we're not adding, we don't want to add features that don't connect to the majority of users. Right, right. right. We get a lot of weird fucking requests for really <laughs> stupid stuff all the time. Um, I mean, it's great. We love the customer feedback. Thank you. Right, for right the questions I can only imagine. there's a lot of unique requests that we would never do because it would add several dollars to every light and 99% of users would never touch never it. use it yeah yeah but we, we're definitely going to solve that problem of um, battery indication on the helmet without taking it off your head um, yeah we have another way that we're working on first that that we'll we'll talk about again in the future but yeah um, yeah it's uh you know I'm I, I mean, I can think of other things. I mean, it's like obviously like a Bluetooth something that you put on your handlebars or something like that that gives you optics down there or whatever. But yeah, there's definitely ways to do it. And I think that at the end of the day is what I'm getting at is definitely give me a notification that I can actually like see or use, you know, like, yeah. like let's say the Knight Rider light that I have. <clears throat> okay, um, I got the battery pack. And I, I'm using that big, huge battery pack because I want this thing to last at, you know, neutron star level for as long as possible, yeah. right? But that, once again, has a light that's on the battery. It's like the battery's in my pocket or it's in my bag or it's in my my fanny pack. Like, that doesn't help. Yeah. And, yeah, and that light also has in lights on the light itself. And it's like, well, hey, man, can you do me a favor? How many blinky lights do I got right now? You know? Right. Like, right. And and the thing is with like the, those in particular too, like that indicator on the battery is it's not useful. It basically tells you if you're good when you know you're good or yeah. if you're screwed. And yeah. by that point, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no like, oh, I'm not about half battery. It's yeah, it's either you're not screwed or you're screwed. And it's yeah, it's yeah. Good. I, so, I didn't never, never understood why it didn't go to like and the other thing too is like it'll usually go from like working and and this is not just their light but any other lights too like it'll go from working to i'm dead and right. there's like and in my mind that's a software thing and i feel like that when you're writing the software for the light you should be able to say hey this guy's got five minutes of this light left and yeah. now I'm going to change it from 800 lumens down to 250. So he has enough light to walk out with for the next hour. Like yeah. why give me the other five minutes when I'm not going to finish my ride, you know, or like give me the option to override it, you know, like, like, nope, yeah, give me yeah. the five minutes, you know, but yeah, I would prefer that when it gets to the point of I'm about to die, like knock me down some levels. And, and then mentally I'm like, Oh shit, light just dimmed. I'm going to either have to hammer 
or this is what I'm dealing with. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, and that's, that's exactly what we do. We basically let you do whatever you want until the battery gets to 5% capacity left. Uh -huh. At that point, whatever mode you're in, it trips down to low output. Yeah. So you can see that change. It's a right. hard step change and that's on yeah. purpose so that you notice it and realize, oh, it's now in get out of the woods mode. And yeah, yeah, yeah. At, least, at least 20 minutes of light output to get out of the woods right. on low. So it's right. not not best if you're like right in the middle of the downhill, but you at least still have light and you know, yeah. okay, I got to turn back now uh, yeah. and not just be completely dead. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I, ne I never understood that. Like, yeah, it's definitely, um, I mean, I was joking around about it earlier, but I mean, when you go from having light to no light in the woods, it is, I mean, because your eyes are not adjusting that quickly. So like instantly, it's <laughs> like, I'm in a black bag right now. Hold on for dear life. Yes. All, all I know is what I saw before that turned off. And I remember rocks and a cliff. And now I'm just jamming the shit out of my brakes and hoping that I'm not dying. You know, like, you oh, know? well, and that's also why, like, because I had a bunch of buddies that had cheaper lights and they would die in the middle of downhills at high speed, go from full blast to completely off. And yeah. they would crash because of it. Um, so we put a, a 10 second long um, up down strobing function. So it doesn't turn completely off and it's kind of a slow, you know, half hertz strobe. Uh -huh. So that, um, it goes from like max output back down to low so that it's telling you, Hey, you need to slow down and get off your bike because the light's going to die and we can't. Oh, keep that's it. awesome too. So even at the last like couple of yeah. seconds, then you at least get another warning too, instead of like straight hard off. Yeah, you you oh, get ten awesome. seconds, which is is plenty of time to come. Yeah, to, to hit the brakes. Yeah, <laughs> and figure out where your cell phone is so you can turn yeah, the light yeah. on and make you're make doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, uh, right. But we, you know, yeah, like that to us is like that's a safety thing. Like we, yeah, same reason that cranks and handlebars get tested with certain standards for strength, so they don't just fail and cause crashes that could injure somebody. You can get injured if your light just fails. And so we want yeah. warnings like that from a safety standpoint for the riders, whether we're liable or not, just because that's what we want when we're riding. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's, it's definitely um, night riding is so much fun. And there's like so many good times that I've had. It's like to to try to explain it to somebody that's never done it. I, the way I always am just telling them, like, you just have to go do it. You You have to go try it. I mean, yeah. there's this trail where we're right by me that's like kind of a real flowy downhill roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And the first time that I was going down that trail at night and there's like three bats like flying down the trail like with me, yeah. like it was just so cool because it's like for them, the lights attracting the bugs and they're like, you know, fucking dinner yeah. or something, you know? Yep. But it's just like, you know, you're jamming down this this trail and it's like, you got these bats like right in front of you and you're just like, oh wow, this is sick, you know? And uh, I don't know, those are, those are really fun experiences, you know? Well, I, I just had this conversation with uh, somebody the other day about spiders uh, because <laughs> tis the season right now, there's spider webs across the trails and whoever's in front is clearing them. Yeah. Unless you're tall like me and then I get all of them in the face no matter what, but no matter uh, what, yeah. They, but so it's certain areas, and and middle of North Carolina was, and all North Carolina in the woods is 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 ripe for this. 
but depending on where where these creatures exist, if you're just using a helmet light, you turn your bar lights off and you just look around with your helmet light, you'll see a bunch of reflections, little like sparkly bits in, in the leaves and in the trees and stuff. And if you actually go look closely, you realize that those are most of them are spider eyes because the eyes are these spherical orbs that are retro reflective. And so if you have a light very close to your eyeballs pointing at something, it'll shoot back and, and reflect straight back at you. So you'll see the reflection of the eyes of all these spiders and you realize oh they're everywhere. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> that's super creepy. It was, I, had, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like dew, you know, a little bit of like moisture on the leaves or whatever. And then I realized, yeah, oh, it's, it's bone dry out here. What is this? And somebody said, oh, yeah, those are spiders. Like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's definitely interesting. I'll tell you another thing is, have you ever heard a turkey gobble like right next to you? I don't think I have. No. They are really loud, like really, really loud. Um, louder than you would expect them to be, right? So I was on this night ride, and apparently they like to get up in trees at night. And I'm on this night ride, man, and there's like going under th this this limb is probably a foot above my head, and this turkey let out this freaking gobble, man. I'm telling you, I about sucked my bike up my butthole, dude. I just scared the living shit out of me, man. Like there's definitely a, something to say about night riding and the noises that you hear, but when something's like that audible, like right on top of you, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not something that happens every ride, though, right? You're not no, definitely not. Yeah, that was that was once in probably the last I don't know ten years or so of riding at night, but uh, it's pretty awesome. Good though. stuff. It's a memorable experience, right? Right, that's, right. Like you know, I, I say this to a lot of people. There's uh, Nobody tells stories about the nights where they got plenty of sleep. Um, it's it, it's just not an interesting thing. You do it a thousand times, it's right, right. It's just another night. But if you go out on a ride like that and you nearly get uh, death from above from a <laughs> like that's gonna stick in your mind. And right. Like so, I was on a I was on a ride um, a few years ago in Phoenix before I moved out there. A couple of buddies of mine went out there. Um, in January, right after New Year's, we did a night ride on the, the Black Canyon Trail, BCT, big, epic, point-to-point -point thing. Um, and you're out behind this mountain ridge off the highway, so you're middle of nowhere. Um, you can't see any lights or anything. And we had planned to finish this ride during the daytime. Of course, we didn't. And being the light guy, even at the time, I, I was the only one with, with a light, and I had a flashlight. But no one else had lights. And we realized at a certain point, it's a full moon. We could try riding without, and we don't have a choice now because we got to get out of here. And it's point to point, so there's no way to bail. So we're riding right. by moonlight in the middle of the desert. And so I, if I turn my flashlight on at all, it destroys everyone's night vision. Right, right. Your eyes adjust to that, and it takes another 10 minutes to get back yeah, down. Yeah. So I basically don't turn it on at all. And we're riding in total darkness for, for a while, just the half lux of, of moonlight. And um, that's quite an experience first and foremost. But the, the thing I remember most from that ride is that we, we had a, a buddy had his trail dog with us. And at some point the dog just started barking incessantly and just wouldn't stop. We're trying to like keep going down the trail and I'm like, right. dog, come on. And so I'm at the back of the group and I got my flashlight out and I shine the light on him to figure out what's going on. And there is this longhorn uh, bull, like just a <laughs> cow, 
sitting on the side of the trail, just laying down, just staring at this dog. This dog is, you know, two feet in front of the longer parking in its face. And it's just sitting there staring at it. And this thing's, you know, like a thousand pounds. It's right, right. Right off the trail. Like it was probably yeah. 10 feet from me. And I had no idea until I had passed it. And it's like, right. hey, guys, we got to get the leash and we got to get out here. We got to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> things you'd never you'd never see that during the day because they wouldn't be out there and the trails yeah. are totally different at night and that's where i think like, it is what you make of it right some yeah. people like that that experience more than anything they're not yeah. just trying to tack one on after work when it's dark in the winter they want to go have the experience of going out turning all the lights off and being immersed in darkness with no yeah. sound except for trees it's like it's really cool and you just yeah. don't understand it until you've done it so yeah and somehow a, a freaking chipmunk running through the woods sounds like a sasquatch <laughs> oh, yeah. oh man or in the desert you see one snake and now everything looks like a snake <laughs> yeah yeah i have that same problem in the daytime especially this time of year around here it's like i've seen more snakes this year than i have any year and because of that like i think i've seen like four or five snakes already this year so my brain is like stuck on snake mode, like yeah. all the time, like even like some twig that's hanging up here, like eye level, which would make no sense for a snake to be floating through the air. My brain's still like, is that a snake? <laughs> Death from above. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So you said you worked for like a, a, a optic company in the past. Like, how do you get into optics? Like you're, you're in high school one day and you're like, yeah, I want to do lights. Yeah. So, um, so actually, I don't know how. So Matt, um, the founder of the company, uh, co-owner, he's uh, he's an optical engineer. That's his job, and he I, I can't remember how he got into that. I know he worked for Boeing for a little while um, and did some non-optical things, but was a general, you know, kind of mechanical engineering position, and then mm -hmm. got into optics. Um, I think from there, but he had some uh, smaller eyes training. And Matt, I'm sure he's going to listen to this and. Um, you're like that's not what I did. Me on what to say next time somebody asks. Right, right. Um, but uh, for me, I worked at uh, Cree, which is the the manufacturer of the LEDs themselves um, in mm -hmm. Durham, North Carolina. Um, and for that, that for me, it was I I went to school for mechanical and electrical engineering, and I basically played with LEDs for fun. I just made stupid devices that lit up and and did things, and that was a hobby. Um, yeah. I was a nerd and that's what I got my engineeringness out with all that energy out with. Um, and I, I took a job in, in water treatment out of college as a field engineer and kind of got stuck um, in that job for several years for a bunch of other life reasons. And when I had a chance, I applied to Cree for almost a year. It's like 11 months before I finally got an interview. And yeah. um, I just, it was a, you know, one of the industry leaders in, in LEDs, it was, near my hometown is right where I wanted to be. And yeah, yeah, I had to, I used all their products all the time and I was buying them from a distributor in Australia because that was the only place I could get them in small quantities. Right. So they were right. Manufacturing them, shipping them to Australia and then shipping back to me. It was so dumb. Right. And, um, I just really wanted to work there. So I, I eventually made it happen. That's a whole other long story, but I was hoping when I got there, there would be like all these other, um, you know, enthusiasts there with a bunch of crazy shit in their cubicles and things. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's playing with stuff. It, no, there's a couple other people, and they're now very, very good friends of mine. Even though I don't work there anymore, right. um, because we like to make 
uh, silly things with LEDs, and that's how we right. bond. Um, that's how I got into there, and that turned from you know wanting to just be the mad scientist in the corner, just doing the next to the next generation R and D cool stuff. Um, they quickly uh, realized that that actually wasn't my skill set. My skill set was kind of taking the bigger pieces of things and fitting them together. So they basically forced me to manage people and I got into like chip design stuff. And then eventually they put me in applications engineering, which is essentially uh, the, the bridge between actual use case for customers and R&D. So uh-huh. R&D isn't just trying to make the most efficient LED. The way they construct the LED is really critical to how they get used in optics for different applications. And the, the cost versus performance balance is critical for that, depending on the industry. And so we we need that feedback from the end user, from the customer to drive the R&D, not the other way around. We're not trying to force customers to use a product that's not ideal for them, right? Right, right. So when General Electric or Panasonic says, we need this LED, you're like, okay, I guess we'll go figure out how to make that LED for you. Um, right. And I loved that because it gave me this kind of bridge between the intense R&D, the development side, uh, and the actual end use case, how people were using the LEDs and what mattered in the real world. Uh, so meanwhile, you're friends with, I think you said the founder was, his name's Matt? Yep. So mean, uh, meanwhile, all this is going on, you're just friends with Matt and Matt's like starting this thing or like... He approached no, you when he wanted to start it. I actually, I left Cree at some point because I wanted to make my own lights. I wanted to make my own company and make my own shit. And yeah, because uh, I was a big mountain biker. So the two things I knew a lot about were bikes and LEDs. And right on. it just felt right for me to try to pull them together. Um, simultaneously, Matt was starting Outbound. And I, you know, it was Kickstarter and Honestly, a lot of Kickstarters, I look at them and I don't give them a whole lot of credit until they get off the ground and survive for a little bit. Right, right. Uh, the Kickstarter curse, people can get uh, caught up in that with these grandiose claims and never deliver on them. And so yeah. I saw him, but I was kind of like waiting to see where he was going and if he would survive. And thankfully, he, he kicked ass and stood this company up by himself and uh, was doing everything from the design the actual uh, assembly of every single light, all the packaging, all the shipping, all the website, customer service, he was doing everything. Um, how did you How did you know him? You guys went to college together or something or? No, basically the venture where I left Cree to pursue my own thing, making my own lights, um, that fell apart at a partnership. It fell apart six months into it for a number of different reasons. Um, uh-huh. it ended up being good for both of us. And I was looking, uh, I was looking for a partner to make lights with. And I right. approached companies and um, that I thought, okay, you already make this stuff for the bike industry. You could add this to your product portfolio and right. fill it up and be really cool and niche and we could build off your brand. It's kind of this perfect fit. And yeah. basically they, uh, a lot of the, the people I talked to are like, well, we kind of only make stuff that we like to ride. And we, we basically switch to snow sports, snow sports in the winter. So we don't make lights or um, you know, we don't want to get into consumer electronics at all because of all the additional regulatory stuff on yeah, it, whatever, yeah. sticking to mechanical things and whatever. And so I, I had just found outbound and I, would, I was tracking him for a while because he was the only bike like company. And there's a ton of little like garage startups and things out there, um, that just don't survive or they kind of fizzle out. Um, but he was the only one that was doing something novel with optical design. So he was making, yeah. making lights that spread the beam across the trail or the road for that 
for mounting on the bars, for mounting on the helmet, and doing it in a really sensible way based off of what he's learned from the automotive industry. Right. And Instead of just like being like, hey, I'm going to try to put a flashlight on a cool mounting device and call it a day. Yeah, and exactly. And and so I was already trying to do um, to do that. Like I had basically been modifying bike lights, modifying their optics with diffusive films to broaden the beam pattern side to side for handlebar lights and some with downturn beams so we get less glare up and things like that. And I was kind of hacking it together, but I didn't have the the raw optical design experience to go from scratch, design an optic, simulate it, and get it through tooling and manufacturing and have it be real. I was basically yeah. still off the shelf stuff and kind of hacking things together. And so yeah, I, I, get it. I reached out to him and sent him a long email that was really, really long and detailed. Um, I tend to be kind of long winded. I don't know if you pick up on that after this talk, but um, it works out for me, man. I'm, I'm doing a podcast, <laughs> so I'm like, right on, dude, keep talking. <laughs> yeah, so, so I sent this long ass email and uh, basically said, look, you're doing the thing that I can't really do effectively myself. And I can come in and help with some industrial design and some of the electronic side and the industry side of things to help you make a better product for the industry. And what we realized, uh, you know, he sent me an email back that was even longer. So we, we kind of, like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, we pretty quickly. And what we realized is we, we just had a lot of back and forth via um, email and um, Facebook Messenger of all places. And it's one of the messages like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that meme made its way across a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. But uh, we, we basically uh, realized that we had this really complimentary skill set where the things that I wasn't good at, he really enjoyed doing like he's yeah. he's good with search engine optimization and, and our ad spend and things like that yeah i i am not um yeah. he is really i pride myself on being a good mechanical designer i make i model stuff in cad 3d all the time for personal yeah. projects and for work he's better at it than i am so he does the mechanical stuff and i do the electronics and we can kind of bridge that together because he doesn't really know anything about electronics and right. so we 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 use our strengths and fill in all the areas that we really need in this. And we can kind of, yeah, it could be a two man company. We're, we're three people now, but um, as a two person company for a bit, we could kind of cover all of our gaps and I could help grow into the industry and work on the, the testing side, um, the product development side. And he can really start with the core products and do, do the raw design work and make it pretty and manufacturable. He's really good with the, design for manufacturing stuff. So, you know, reducing the number of steps, number of fasteners, the ergonomics so that we can assemble something not only faster and more effectively, but so that the design is more robust. And so that it's more reliable mm -hmm. on the field. It's easier to repair that sort of thing. Um, and so we just kind of worked that together, but we're doing it all via email and Facebook messenger. And the first time we hadn't even spoken on the phone, the first time we met uh, or talked was when uh, I flew to Chicago and helped assemble the first run of Hangover, our helmet light, because it's the first light we designed together. And I was basically doing that in my part time as a side gig while I was yeah. doing some engineering work for another company. And right. um, kind of as a litmus test, see if we work well together and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we worked together for 11 months without talking on the phone, without meeting in person. And then he picked me up from the airport and we introduced ourselves to each other. That's and, funny. Um, I've seen him in person, I think, three, maybe four times now over the past yeah. couple of years. 
years and um, we've talked on the phone less than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we talk every day constantly on Facebook Messenger about any number of things. And yeah, right. Because um, we're basically set up now where he uh, he has a warehouse space in Chicago. We're actually just expanding now into a 7,000 square foot facility, um, kind of planning wow, for a lot, a lot of space. It's yeah, we're not going to need all of it right now, but I was going to say you put a lot of lights in 7,000 square feet, man. Yeah, well, we're also doing all the assembly in-house. We have to stack all the, the parts to actually do the assembly. Then we have to have an area for the assembly. Then we have quality control checks. Then we have packaging and shipping. And so all of that with space for us to actually like be there comfortably. Bathroom. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it fills up really quick. Um, but yeah, suffice to say, we're, we're growing. Um, and we hired a, a full-time production manager um, who's... He's now doing the the heavy lifting when it comes to the assembly and the QC, the packaging, the shipping, which is great. He developed an inventory system from scratch uh, for oh, us awesome. and implemented that. And it's been, um, you know, we were, we were paying him hourly and we decided, no, he should be salaried and have health insurance because it's silly. And we can get him, you know, ask him to do more stuff. And because it's not yeah. always like full balls to the wall work, you know, where there's ebbs right. and flows and we have a peak season that's coming up, but in the summer and early January, after everybody's bought Christmas presents and things, sales yeah. are lower. And so yeah, there's yeah. less to keep up with. So we just started tasking with our stuff and he's killing it. It's, it's yeah. so great having him around now. So now we got the three of us where Matt's focused on big business stuff, um, on finances, on website, on logistics, on uh, product development, design, um, uh -huh. Handling Andy's handling the uh, the shipping and the warehousing and the inventory, and then I'm handling all of our customer service and warranty and uh, testing and media and, and other stuff like yeah. that. So That's I can exciting, man. And we're just kind of making it work and figuring out when we need so to hire somebody. How long have you guys been in business? When was it that you sold the first unit compared to where you're at now? I think it was 2017 for Matt. I think it was June of 2017. So it's been. Mm -hmm been four years on that first initial product line um as it, it was pretty slow initially and then um it's it's ramped up pretty aggressively past couple of years to the point where it's like okay we're not gonna uh we're paying everybody salaries now we're not gonna um go out of business in our garage yeah. um you know we're not killing ourselves bending over mm -hmm. backwards trying to make something work and, and not making money so it's it's sustainable now um but we're basically taking all of our cash and dumping it back into R and D and new products, trying to get more stuff. That's what you do when you're starting, right? Yeah. Cause we don't have that many products and yeah. there's still a lot of things we want to do um, without making a thousand different products. We yeah. can, we can still fill a lot of other applications and um, kind of use cases that, that people are asking for. Um, so we're just going to keep doing that. And then, you know, as as new technology pops up, we can use. We'll we'll do that and start and some of these other features. But um, yeah, it's it's been quite a wild ride to quit my you know career um, in like the corporate world. You know, company yeah. with six thousand employees where I've got this management path and yeah, yeah, high yeah. salaries and all that. It's it's great. Um, but I was it was basically a job where you're beaten over the head until you quit. Um, yeah. Which, uh, it sounds weird, but I actually kind of liked that environment. I, I had a really good core group of friends that I worked yeah. with. We all commiserated and we were in it together. And it, right, right. I felt misery like loves company. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I've also realized there's there's a lot to be said for work life balance and like 
mental health. Yeah. And there was sure a point in my career where I wanted to have like bigger budgets and manage more people. And I don't know, like it meant something to me. And then somewhere along the line in my, of my life, like I've come to the fact like of knowing that like, I don't really give a shit about that. And I really want to do something that makes me happy to like get up and do every day. And um, I would assume that that has something to do with where I'm at financially. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'd probably still be hungry if I wasn't making decent money. But, yeah. you know, like uh, um, at, at the point that I'm at in my career now, I'm like, I don't really care. I don't really want to... Like I want, I want to spend more of my life doing things that I enjoy than I want to spend doing something that gives me a bigger paycheck. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's that we're all kind of on the same page here. We're very, we're highly motivated to, to do things better and to make something exist that doesn't exist. But we are also, we're not in this so that we could sell this to, uh, you know, some venture capitalists or something, you know, yeah. This company isn't going to sell in five years for, right. for a big payout for us. Like we're doing this so that we can enable our hobbies. Like I want to yeah. go on bike trips and have riding bikes be part of the thing that I get to do all the time with yeah. friends and industry people and all that. It's, it's great. Matt is a, uh, he's a rally guy. He's a rally car driver and he's a pretty good one and he likes to build rally cars. So he's basically doing this so that he can make enough money to support his family and, Play with rally cars but yeah those things know, are expensive not, when they break too expensive when they break but he also he's plays a lot of like rally cross stuff so it's uh you know you're not building a hundred thousand dollar race vehicle you're yeah yeah together actually i i might spend more on bikes currently than he spends on <laughs> rally cars. oh fuck. yeah um yeah, yeah like i um, i i never realized how much money i spend on bikes until i started doing the youtube stuff and i was you know at that point being able to like have a a business you know and and yeah. write things off and it's like oh okay well i'll just hit amazon up and see like anything that was a bike part i mean obviously that's related to my what i'm doing as my business here and uh you add that all up and you're like holy shit man i spent a lot of money on this stuff <laughs> This is yeah. not cheap. <laughs> no, it's it's really nice being able to write stuff off for for business reasons and have it be a hundred percent legitimate. Yeah, uh, yeah, for a sure. A lot of parts that I buy that are for testing because we're trying to make stuff that say yeah, yeah. to everything in the industry, and it's like, oh, I'm glad I'm not buying that out of pocket anymore, and yeah. they get some new stuff to play with. So that's that's one of those perks. Uh, yeah. You know, like we built so, out- um, are you are you guys traveling with the uh, the the festival kind of like seeing a little bike bike fest? Do you guys do that too, or yeah, a little bit? We're experimenting with that because we don't really know what um, what makes sense from a like business standpoint for us. To yeah, yeah, on. those are expensive. I mean, it's not like I mean, people that aren't in the industry like may not realize that. I mean, you pay for that tent to be there, yeah. And, and it's not cheap. It's not like 500 bucks and you're the good, you know, like, I mean, shoot those sea otter. What those tents are like five, 10 grand, I think for a space in sea otter or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I know exactly how much they are. Cause we're going to be at sea otter. <laughs> we're going to see if it's worth the money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, that has to like correlate to sales to make yeah. that make sense or you're, you're wasting your time, you know, like, 
Yeah, and, so, and for us, it's it's a little different because I mean, it's not different. It's we're just in that stage in our company's growth where we're still not a you know most people who who have been night riding before will recognize the name night rider or light in motion. They're kind of yeah. the big the the eight hundred pound gorillas in the room, and they they've been around for a while. They have a brand. We're still developing our brand, so we're spending a lot of time just trying to one just get out there. Um, but we're also not going to do that frivolously and just spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on advertising at festivals yeah. that serve no purpose. But, right. right. Uh, we went to Bentonville bike fest, kind of did that on a flyer and that worked out great. It was, uh, honestly, I was super impressed with the, the way that went off and, and the response from the people. Who were there. I would imagine the festivals like that, or like, like a Sedona type fest where it's a little more intimate, mm -hmm. um, than sea otter. Like, at least for me, even going to Sea Otter as a media person, yeah. it's overwhelming. Like, so you I know. can only imagine how it is to not even be a media person. Just walking around, you're like, it's like sensory, sensory overload, you know? It's like, you got to kind of know what you're looking for, I would think, you know? And maybe you'll bump into some stuff. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, if Sea Otter, it's expensive and it's big and it may not may not actually be the best venue for us to spend that money. We're, yeah. we're we did Bentonville. We're doing a Sedona mountain bike fest. Uh, oh, sweet. Well, I'll definitely here. see you there then. Yeah. We'll be doing some, uh, hosting some night rides with the industry nine guys, uh, leading, uh, the group rides. And then we're providing demo lights for people. So, um, oh, cool. yeah, if nothing else, you get to check them out there. We'll, we'll drive our, uh, demo van down there that we built out. Um, uh, but, uh, we we're also, you know, we've got a relationship with the Maxis Eastern States cup. They do a big race series every year, the bunch of Enduros. And, um, this year they, they reached out or they actually posted on Facebook looking for anybody who has connection with light brands because they wanted to do a night Enduro and oh, nice. a ton of people who do their races throughout our name. It was great because like half the recommendations were like, you should contact outbound and, um, and so I just started talking to them and we decided to do that, um, do two of those this year. So one was earlier in the spring. We got one coming up in October and it's, it's awesome because they, they have this set up like in, uh, in Connecticut at a little ski resort where they basically are doing laps up the hill. So every lap you finish back at the start. So if anybody has any issues, they crash and they break something, we can get them fixed back up and, and back out for yeah. their lap. Um, that's pretty rad and a, a night ride enduro that that sounds actually pretty fun it's it's great because so many people show up from all different backgrounds where they either night ride a lot or they don't at all and yeah three stages during the day and three stages at night so it's really cool to like listen like i just talked to a bunch of racers after the event and they're talking back and forth between you know the guy who who has our lights of course who rides all the time who is like consistently significantly faster on the night stages than everybody else. But then, you know, is losing time during the daytime stages. And yeah. it's, it's cool to watch them. Like that's just another thing that plays into yeah. how they ride, just like trail conditions. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Totally. It's such so, cool. So you guys sell strictly through your website or you have like on, are you on Amazon? Do you have, are you any retailers? What's the way that people can buy your stuff? Uh, yeah, fuck Amazon. We're not on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> like, All right, we, we won't ever be on Amazon. You know, we, yeah. we've talked with um, we've talked with a few uh, people like Worldwide Worldwide Cycling about um, distribution. Yeah, at some yeah, point. yeah. 
um, for a couple of different reasons. We we just haven't done that yet. The primary being we just we're still growing and yeah, we, no, there's no, no, because, no problem there because we're so we're so seasonal in our revenue because we're also pretty heavy on, on mountain bike products now. We've got a new uh, road and gravel focused product coming out um, in the fall, but until then, we're majority of our revenue is coming from mountain bike lights and that's heavily seasonal in the fall because we're also us-based company international shipping is kind of a shit show right now so yeah. we're, we're figuring that out to try to grow in other countries uh, and be able to support them like the majority of our business in, is in the us and that's you know right now people are just starting to buy lights again for the for the winter um and so cash flow is a really big thing for us and we we honestly can't afford to take the margin hit going through QBP or BTI and these other yeah. uh, wholesale distributors because we need that money during the dead season. So we can, because now is when yeah. we're putting money yeah. in tooling and new production runs and hoping that it all comes back in the fall, right? We're kind of exposed now. Yeah. So um, we, we so definitely strictly, support- Strictly through your website right now? That's That's the- yeah, right now it's through our website, but we do have some local bike shops that carry us. And mm -hmm. because we're not going through Q or BTI, it's we don't we don't push to shops. But if a shop ever reaches out to us and say, "Hey, we night ride a lot. We want to carry your stuff," absolutely, we'll set them up. We'll give them you know healthy shop margins so they can make money off the product and not just us make money. Um, and we'll make sure they're well supported because we we ultimately want shops to exist we all love yeah. our local bike shops that are good and we want to support them um we want to do it in a responsible way where we know that you know we we don't really have sales on our website you know we get people ask us for discount codes constantly we don't put sales on our website and, and a big part of that is is because we don't want to undercut shops we don't want to yeah. sell property to shops and then have to go through this headache of one by one giving out smaller discounts to these other places and things like it's just yeah 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 it's, it's it's we just don't have discounts um with with a few uh rare exceptions um because we want the shops to be able to to sell through them and to push people towards shops um, yeah and as we grow then we'll have more bandwidth and more incentive to kind of get more shops involved and have more demo programs and you know kind of like a shop demo kind of thing um, yeah but that's that's kind of where we're at now. I think we've got probably 30, 35 shops around the country. So it's not a lot. That's awesome. That's really it's, awesome. It's something. And it, it's cool to get feedback too, because every shop's in a different climate and different area. And so you know, we got um a couple of shops up in like uh, Calgary that are heavy snow and, and fat bike riding, and the way they use their lights are very different. Um do, do you have different like problems with like the the batteries and stuff like that and in, in the, the different oh, sure. like uh weather systems and yeah so um absolutely that you know lithium-ion batteries and leds are both sensitive to temperature um, yeah cold temperature generally helps with most things because the lights are producing heat um while you're riding um but uh batteries are not one of them lithium-ion batteries tend to tank on capacity they get shorter lifespan at the colder it gets and yeah. um we actually got a a rider who who talks to us a lot and it gives us a lot of really valuable feedback from Alaska um, who rides in, like he said, oh yeah, just out for a casual ride. It's negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit right now. <laughs> and um, he was saying that, you know, he had a, I won't say which competitor, but he had a competitor light that, that turned off after 15 minutes and he had a, a Garmin GPS unit that wouldn't even turn on. It was so cold. And when he warmed oh, it wow. back, 
the call car it turned back on but our lights were surviving and nice they weren't getting quite to their claimed run times but they physically yeah. can't because of the lithium-ion battery so um it was just cool to kind of figure out what really worked and part of that is you know our, our design puts the light the, the batteries themselves in thermal contact to the shell and the leds because we actually want some heat to go into the battery to help yeah. keep it warmer when it's super cold yeah um, but we was like testing them like because uh, we've got these you know vent fins on the underside of the, our, our handlebar light that carries light right past the leds on the back of the, the led plane and cools them down faster so he was actually blocking that vent for riding so you can keep more heat in the light um and experimenting with that and it's there's definitely challenges between the desert where the, you might have a night ride at 100 degrees versus sub freezing temperatures where nothing works it's it's pretty crazy um so if somebody wants to look and see where the i'm sorry i must i'm pivot a little bit so if somebody wants yeah. to look and uh see where the shops are that you guys are selling through do you have that on your website or we don't currently um, okay. that's something we probably should do um yeah if they, if they shoot us an email they we can certainly tell them um chances are there won't be covered because it's yeah. you know 30, 35 shops around the country um do you have anything in the northern california area where i'm at actually was just pulling up a list of shops earlier um we got while, while you're doing that man i had a really good question too that had nothing to do with that now i can't even remember what it is so there you go <clears throat> that's the way that's the way the cookie crumbles at sometimes right um yeah. until um, I, know how I, I don't I actually don't think we have anything in northern california right now um, so what is um what what's the what's the process like for somebody well let's take it let me take a step back first if somebody's wanting to get into night riding, what would you recommend that they go to your your website and purchase? What would be like a good starter uh, kit? Um, so I I tend to recommend if you're going to get one light, get the bar light first, um, mm -hmm. because I think it's going to be better for most people and most types of riding, particularly newer riders getting in. I think it carries a lot of. Um, I think it just is a. It's just going to be a better experience than having a underpowered helmet as light as a helmet light only because uh, our mm -hmm. helmet light is I, I think it's a great light i've ridden with it by itself um but i don't i don't like it because we designed it to work as a pair and um i don't want people to have a negative experience just because they tried the one thing and yeah yeah and so i think a handlebar our our trail evo um evo is our everything's called evo these days um, right but uh, our trail Evo is is the new hotness for for handlebar lights. It's self-contained and uh, super wide, very even beam pattern. So literally everything from the handlebar forward is lit up. So that that um, little teaser image you had on the um, the YouTube um, preview yeah, thing, yeah. Um, that's a customer image they sent us um, of him and his bike, and that's just the handlebar light. And you can see oh, there's light good. right on the ground, uh, even behind the front wheel. So that you can see what your front wheel is hitting out of your peripheral vision and not have to look down with your helmet light to see that right so it's yeah yeah the, the evo is what i'd recommend starting with um honestly if somebody's just getting into it and they want to you know not spend a ton of money and and ease into it before they dive into the deep end find a friend who's got lights and just ask to borrow them. um yeah, just yeah. get something 
and just go experience night riding in some way, shape or form. That's yeah. I think step one. Like you said, you just don't know what it's like until you've done it and you realize it's, yeah. it's different and it can be really cool. You do. Yeah. I kind of think of it like um, a little bit like fake meat sometimes. Like you can't expect it, the, the fake burger to taste just like a beef burger, but it doesn't mean it's bad. Like right. a, lot of, a lot of stuff is really good. It's just, you can't go in expecting it to be the same. So if you go in, right. expect to ride at night, exactly like you do during the day with no changes, uh, you'll be disappointed. Um, but it's not about that. It's about being able to ride anywhere at any time. And, and that experience is, is different. And it's not always worse. And in a lot of ways, like, like you're talking about earlier, it can be really more enjoyable and a better experience than just, you know, standard ride during the daytime. So yeah, one, of the, uh, one of the people's in the, the chat here is asking mm -hmm. if you could explain, explain the difference between the Evo and the downhill packages that you have on your website. Yeah, so we, we essentially have three products, three main products right now. We have our Hangover, which is our self-contained helmet light, which um, for anybody that can actually see the video feed, I'll show you that here. This is our, this is that with GoPro tabs built in because we don't want to reinvent the wheel and have a proprietary mount. Most helmets have some, some um, uh, provision for mounting a GoPro on them. Um, and we figure we can keep it nice and tucked and, and close to the helmet, lightweight, low center of gravity, um, as simple as And if, if it doesn't have, if their helmet doesn't have a GoPro mount of some sort, do you have some kind of strap that you guys sell? Uh, we have adhesive mounts that comes with that. Um, and uh, we, we use the adhesive like stick on, stick on base with a snap in piece. Um, it's a mm -hmm. basically standard GoPro fare um, they've been using for decades because it works. Um, not all helmets are the same. I will say this, if you have a weird shaped helmet that has like vents running down the center or it comes to a point like the Fox Pro Frame or the TLD A1, um, we have different mounts that we, we 3D print. Uh, it's all right, you don't need to show it. So you 3D print some to, to fit those then. We, yeah, and it's not a lot. So we don't, we don't, we didn't pay the several thousand dollars to tool up parts for that, but we can 3D print stuff that is really durable and works for yeah, yeah. applications like that. So basically if you got a weird helmet and the mount that comes with the light doesn't work, email us and we'll, we'll just send you the appropriate one for free because we just want it to work. And yeah, yeah. the reason we don't include every one of those in the box is because you're only going to need one. Like it, there's a lot of companies that include every possible way to mount a light to every single part of your bike or helmet. And yeah. I, I don't like that because one, we, we, we don't include a handlebar mount with our helmet light because it is designed for helmet use. It doesn't mean you can't right. put it on the bars and have it work, but it's not what it's optimized for. And we're trying to make stuff that's, that's high performance designed for specific applications. So we don't right. include those other mounts because it just generates trash and adds cost to the product for us. Right. To add I think I sidetracked us too. We were, we were the difference between the, oh, yeah. the, uh, the, the downhill and the Evo package. Sorry, yeah, I'm good. Man, let's go. <laughs> like I said, I could talk about this shit for hours. So steer me <laughs> back. Um, yes, yeah, so the Evo and downhill packages. So there's hangover is a helmet light. Evo is our handlebar light. Um, they're both self-contained, USB-C rechargeable. The downhill, the Evo downhill package is basically just the two of them together. So you get your bar light and your helmet light uh, together. We have the the older downhill package. Um, we used to sell, I think we took it off our site now, is using our original trail light, uh, which is an external battery. It's basically the product that they put outbound on the map that lifted up the company. 
and um, and the hangover together. And um, we're, we're moving towards the self-contained where everything's, you know, similar aesthetic, similar design style, yeah. similar user interface. So it all kind of blends together as a good, good package. So, um, yeah, the, the downhill package is basically just a handlebar and helmet light together um, so that you have something that's designed to work together that's balanced. And you're not pairing two lights together that, you know, like we talked about before, if you get yeah. somebody else's light that overpowers our bar light or vice versa, um, then you're kind of losing the benefits of both. So what's the, um, what's the, what's the cost for the, the double package that like, if you're going all in, uh, $10,000, no, um, it's, uh, so the double package is 365 retail. Um, uh -huh. the hangover is, uh, actually I need to check. I feel like we may have changed those costs recently, but it's basically uh, 130 bucks for our helmet light and, uh, 245 for the handlebar light. Um, yeah, yeah. Discount for the package together, and we feel like that. That's. So, I mean, three hundred sixty bucks though for two lights is not bad, honestly. Like, I, I don't think so. I mean, in my opinion, you can, you can pay a lot more for lights. Um, you can also pay I definitely a lot have. Lights, but yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's we we're trying to you know confirm to the adage confirm the adage that you get what you pay for. You know, you're not just going to get if you spend twenty five bucks on lights you basically get it with the idea that they're disposable and you'll just buy another one if something happens, yeah. which is unacceptable. Um, we're trying to make it very clear to our customers that we will take care of them for everything after they buy the light. So we've got some, you know, legal language around a warranty, you know, so that around three years, manufacturer defects, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, the, the way we support our customers is we don't really ask a whole lot of questions except to figure out if something went wrong, how we can better design our product. Yeah. Not do like, you don't need to show us a receipt or whatever. Like if you got a product that broke and it's whatever reason is, we'll just replace it or we'll fix it for you. Yeah. And, let's figure it out. And I, I kind of frame it as a don't be a dick policy where we have the legal language so that, right. you know, three and a half years go by, and yeah. you email us and you're kind of a dick about it because the lights stopped working because of some random thing or whatever. Yeah. You're like, well, well my, car, my, my bike fell off. My, I left my, my light on my hel on the helmet on the top of the roof and it fell down the freeway at 90 miles an hour. I feel like you guys should replace it. You're like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> no. So like, you know, we had a guy that left his light on his truck bed and then drove away. Like I'm sitting yeah. on the edge of this truck and, and he lost it. It was like the second ride. And he was just oh, that sucks. Was killing him because he couldn't afford to buy a new one. Or like, you know what? We'll just send you a new one. You know, yeah. we don't we we don't do that for everything all the time because right, right. people taking advantage of us. But so far, everybody we talk to is a legitimate human. And um, we're happy to support people because it's a lot easier for us to stomach the cost of a replacement light one for one customer than it is for that one customer to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're, we don't want people spending money on product after they buy it. And so we're trying to approach it of the, you know, just, just talk to us, you email us and you're a reasonable, nice person. We're going to take care of you no matter what. And right on. I can say that confidently because right now I'm answering every email and phone call and text message and social media post that comes in. So yeah, uh, yeah. just keep that in mind. If you're emailing somebody, it's going to be me responding. So you know, <laughs> You might get a long-winded response. So, <laughs> yes, that is that is true. I have I, I, some people like that. Other people are just like, "Okay, thanks," and they yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I overexplain everything, but I mean, here we are. I'm I'm obviously running a podcast, so I like to talk, right? 
Yeah. So we're around in the two hours, man. Um, Yeah. Almost made it. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I know how it goes, man. Honestly, the the time always flies by and it's fun to chat with, with people that are, you know, passionate about what they're doing. So it it always goes by quickly. Do you watch YouTube outside of like uh, mountain biking stuff or you just watch YouTube at all or. And I, I, I do. It just depends where, like, I can't do that. Uh, like while I'm working and focusing right. on emails or design work or anything like that, because I cannot absorb anything that's happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but honestly, all I'll do is I'll like some some podcasts like this or, or things like I'll put them on on long road trips. Um, yeah, and just yeah. Listen, um, yeah. Just because it's it keeps me awake better on long rides. Um, yeah. Or long rides yeah, I definitely do the podcast on the road trips too. Yeah. Uh, the reason I ask is at the end. At the end of the show, I usually ask people what uh, what channels they like to watch. Whether it's some you know underwater basket weaving guy or <laughs> or some some dude that's building machine guns out of out of toothpicks or something like that. You know, like there's a lot of cool oh, yeah. channels out there, and it's always fun to hear hear uh, something that that maybe's got your attention. Oh yeah, uh, well I'll go completely outside of mountain bikes then because yeah yeah it's fine. So much good stuff there. Um, and actually, uh, buddy Dylan commented on the social media post earlier asking about my favorite metal covers of, uh, EDM songs. I'll, I'll go ahead and plug, uh, Andy Rayfelt. Um, it's this guy who, um, as I understand it, he used to write commercial jingles for a living. Um, uh-huh. so he basically has access to all these song tracks where he's got the individual like vocal tracks, drum tracks, et cetera. And so he makes all these mashups of like, uh, jazz Metallica and death metal <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen and Taylor Swift and stuff. And oh, um, so he'll pull the vocals out and then yeah. recreate all the music behind it. And he makes YouTube videos where he'll get like live videos of them right, like, performing right. somewhere and then put it behind it. And like watching jazz Metallica perform like live at a big concert venue. And then right. um, the metal version of Taylor Swift songs. They yeah. are phenomenally entertaining. Um, there was a friend, uh, one of my coworkers, he used to listen to this band. What was it called? It was like, I think it was called Hazy Dixie. And they did ACDC, but in like um, like bluegrass style. So they were all ACDC songs, but like bluegrass. And it was like, it was really entertaining to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So what was the name of your guy again? Uh, Andy Rayfelt, R-E-H-F-E-L-D-T. Right if you on, just go and search for like Jazz Metallica on YouTube, it'll come I'm pretty up. Sure, pretty yeah, sure. There's only one guy doing Jazz Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, dude, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with us. I've learned so much. It was really informative. I'll tell you um, one thing that I noticed when I posted that you guys were coming on the show instantly there was a bunch of people on there talking about how much they enjoy your products. And I think that's, um, that's good to see, you know, especially for our company that's coming up and, you know, doing the best that they can do. And I just wanted to pass that along to you as well, because it sounds like what you're doing, it you're doing it right, you know, and I'm sure you just, it, I'm sure there's a grind to it and a daily, like you don't always get to see that, like, uh, that happy response, you know, of people and, but they're definitely out there like impressed with the products that you guys are making. So, so Absolutely. definitely, definitely keep doing what you're doing. I'm excited to see what comes in the future. It'll be great to uh, bump heads in, uh, in uh, Sedona this year. I'll definitely be able to, to have to have a beer and maybe get out on one of your night rides. I have not done a night ride in Sedona. So that would be a first. 
Oh, yeah. Um, It'll probably be kind of a shit show because it'll be an I nine party ride and oh, yeah. a lot of people and it'll be a mess. But oh, yeah. you know, we'll do that nonetheless. My whole life's a shit show, so it shouldn't I should be able to fit right in. <laughs> so uh anyways, yeah, man. I had a great, great time chatting. I don't know if there's is there anything in particular that you, that you feel like we didn't cover that you wanted to let people know or anything like that, or oh I I there's a lot we didn't cover, but yeah. I think after two hours, if anybody is still here listening to me talk about light stuff, then uh, good on <laughs> you. We'll probably be very good friends. Right. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, I, I just, just like you're saying, I just encourage people to get out there and try it because yeah. it's different and uh, you get what you pay for. So yeah. uh, don't, don't buy cheap shit if you want to actually have a good experience. Right. And, and if you enjoy having teeth in your mouth and you, your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> bad, bad, bad lights leak equal bad dental problems. <laughs> yes. Uh, right on, man. Well, like I said, great, great time chatting with you. All you guys out there, please take a chance to, or take a minute to look in the show more. There's a link to their, their website. If you guys are listening, it's outboundlighting.com. You can go check that out, check them out there. They've got an Instagram and a Facebook as well. I think you got a little YouTube channel as well. So I think there's some, some videos over there on your channel. Yeah. Like two videos. We don't post all of them. That's plenty. That's, that's, that's more than a lot of people, man. So we'll post more, but yes, <laughs> some, something over there. Either way though, there's, there's some different uh, media outlets for, for people to kind of go and look and see what you guys are doing and uh, hit you guys up. Definitely check out the products. And if you want to do me a favor while you're on Instagram, give me a little follow over there at biker B one or B one K E R B one. The same thing goes with Facebook or Twitter. And you guys obviously know there's a YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed the episode, hit the thumbs up. If you really, really like listening to these podcasts in your, in your car and you're like, why is he always talking about YouTube and you enjoy the podcast a lot, go to your podcast platform and write a review only if it's good. If it's a bad review, you probably don't have time. You shouldn't do it. Don't worry about it. So <laughs> with all of that being said, I do want you guys to remember one thing. If that's the only thing that you remember, it only takes a bike to be a biker, get out and be one.